Hi, I'm Michael G. Williams, and welcome to Social Distancing Radio. I'm a novelist, and a reader and friend of mine asked if I would record myself reading one of my novels as something they would find comforting and familiar in the midst of the uncertainty and anxiety of the COVID-19 pandemic. I'll be reading to you from Perishables, the first book in my five-book urban fantasy and vampire series, The Withrow Chronicles, published by Falstaff Books, aka FalstaffBooks.com. If you'd like to pick up a copy for yourself, head over to bit.ly, that's B-I-T dot L-Y, slash Perishables link. That goes to Amazon. Thanks. Okay, folks. Let's finish Perishables, and then we'll talk about what we're going to do next. So, back to the conclusion of the Doorbusters. So, I told her what I am. I told her about being a struggling young painter with a bachelor's degree in fine art, and no marketable skills, and a dead-end retail job right out of college in the middle of a booming post-war economy. I told her about my maker, Agatha. She runs a chunk of Atlanta these nights. We talk on the phone. She sees me as an asset and an heir and a trophy all at once, since I run things here in the Triangle and a bunch of the rest of the state. I see Agatha as a source of information, a confidant, Occasionally, it's something not entirely unlike an ally. I've never seen her as a friend, per se, and I doubt she would want me to. I told Jennifer about my family, that collection of people with whom I'd rarely shared more than genetics, and who hadn't minded seeing me go when I was gone. I told Agatha that they would never miss me, never look for me, but Agatha killed them anyway. That was one of the rules for our kind. It's impossible to leave no trail behind, so we do the next best thing by leaving no one to follow what trail we make. I told her how many decades ago it had been, and that I couldn't really remember the faces of those people when I tried, even though I saw them in the backgrounds of dreams almost every day. They'd become the magic eye posters of memory, an optical illusion I couldn't detect when staring directly at it, but that worked every time when caught in my peripheral vision. I didn't regret their deaths, but I didn't celebrate them. They were like characters in the biography of someone else, some other with Rose who died in 1947, his life and memories and left as an inheritance to me. There had been a few people whose existence I'd been able to hide from Agatha, and a couple of them were still alive, but we didn't exactly see each other often. I told her about cleaning out my neighborhood and wiping the minds of the other members of the neighborhood association so that they'd forget what they had learned about me, believing in everything about the zombies. I told her about choosing to live apart and at the same time amongst the human beings around me. I told her about gay bars in the 40s and how Agatha won me over by accepting me for who I was at a time when none of us received that from someone outside. I told her about having to learn to eat food again and pointed out what just a taste of my blood had done to phone lady. At the end, when I was done, I realized that when I had said it all out loud, my biography sounded sad and strange. But to me, it was just one night that followed another while I wandered along, killing time. Jennifer was silent throughout, and the zombies stood perfectly still, as though they strained to listen as well. When I finished, I sat there, staring at them. 
than looking at the clocks in a display at the end of the aisle. It was barely 12.25. It felt like hours had passed, but it had only been a few minutes. Where were those damned cops already? Surely one of the people who'd gotten away would have called. People called 911 over nothing these days. It's one of my favorite gripes. That's why I didn't want to do anything heavy on camera, I finally said. I can't let myself be caught doing, you know, vampire stuff. These guys were supposed to avoid me. That's what happened last time. They just ran away when I approached. It made catching them into a little game. I shuddered. We're no more immune to fear than anyone or anything else in the world. After another second, I said, So tell me your story. After a pause, she did. She told it to a point in the air somewhere, a few feet away, but she told it. Jennifer talked about the crap college where she'd worked and the way she'd burned down her own job to save all those people who'd been such dirtbags to her and to each other. She told me about coming back and working at an ice cream place and waiting to get into a program that never quite seemed to have room for her. About being on a waiting list for years while she floated from one terrible job to another to pay the bills. About getting into running as a way to pass the time and then lifting weights and never realizing that she'd started training for something. She told me about her boyfriend who drifted farther and farther from the center of the frame until one day he peeled off entirely because she'd closed off from everyone else in pursuit of a moment that was already gone. That instant right before the zombies showed up. Even the professor she'd run around with had stopped having much to do with her eventually because all she could talk about was what had happened to them and, and she knew it was a problem, but she couldn't stop and she couldn't afford to shrink. She told me about watching her career disappear down the hourglass of time along with all the other sand, about there being no one who needed someone to do the things she knew how to do and never being able to get in the door of the programs that taught something new instead. Her intellectual life was slowly bleeding to death from a thousand tiny cuts, mean customers and mannequin dressing and hauling carts inside. She said she needed a reboot, but this wasn't what she had in mind, that this was a rerun, not a reboot. Eventually, she stopped talking and we sat there in silence. I'm sorry, I said. Everybody's sorry, she replied, but that didn't make the nightmares go away. She cleared her throat. I have a theory. Her voice had a hint of renewed energy and focus. She was done talking about herself. Even zombies were a more pleasant subject. Is it me, or are these guys super-powered? I reluctantly concurred with a quiet nod before I spoke. They're faster than a normal person. They're way stronger than zombies were before. There's something different about them. It's kind of nuts, but it could explain a lot. I waited. She went on. What if the stuff in the can is affecting their brains? I'm a system administrator, not a biologist, but I have a friend who is, or at least he was the last time we talked. She shook something off then, the shadow of yet another connection to her life from before that she'd shoved out a door on her way to the lonely here and now. He once told me the metabolism is kind of like a computer's CPU. I looked blank. She looked frustrated with me. It's kind of like a clock for the computer or a timing chain for a car. Anyway, maybe the gas has affected their body's clocks. They're stronger and faster because their bodies are in overdrive. Maybe it's their adrenal glands, I don't know, but there aren't a lot of good ways to end up like this. She drew a breath. Basically, I'm worried that since they weren't dead to begin with, that they're still alive. Further, that if they stay like this for long, they're just going to fall over dead. It happens sometimes. I read in a book about people who are taking injections of various hormones to amp up their metabolisms. 
growth hormones, that kind of thing, for stupid reasons. But they did it so much they basically cooked themselves from the inside out. She shuddered. That might be happening to them right now. They're hot, I said. Their skin. It's too warm. It's like they're all running a high fever. Is it also what's making them... I shuddered. You know, act like they're one person with dozens of bodies? She shrugged. That's something else, maybe. Probably? I don't know. They're unique somehow. Have you ever heard of something called parallel processing? I had not, but she explained it. Think of lots of computers working on one really big problem in cooperation with one another. They all get a little part of the problem, whatever math it is they're trying to do, and they all do that little bit at the same time. When their output is assembled, the problem has been answered, but in a tiny fraction of the time it would take one computer to do all the individual parts in sequence. Get it? I looked down at the zombies, still staring back at us. Not really, but I think I understand what you're getting at. I used to watch a lot of Wild Kingdom in the middle of the night. Would hive mind work? Exactly, Jennifer replied. And if that's the case, it might follow that the more of them they make, the more processing power they acquire. Throw in a realization of cost functions and learning from artificial neural networks, and you get a self-expanding supercomputer on legs. I looked at her with a look as blank as a chalkboard in the morning. They get smarter the more of them there are, Withrow. There are only two at first, but now there are fifty. The nerve gas must. I fluttered my lips in ignorance and frustration. I don't know. Give them telepathy or something? I don't know either. I'm not a neurologist or an expert on Soviet chemical weapons or anything else that matters here, but it would make a kind of sense, wouldn't it? If it's affected their brains in some unknown way, it could do metabolism, adrenaline, telepathy, anything at all, and we have no real ability to predict or control it. I'm just trying to understand it by viewing it through the lenses I have available. I scratched my nose and then sighed again. Okay, hive mind. So, let's say that one of these is one-fiftieth as smart as a human. Now they are, collectively, as smart as one human, right? Maybe, Jennifer chuckled darkly. It was one of the only times I ever heard her laugh. But what if it's more like 25 to 1, or 10 to 1, or even 5? Then they're as smart as two people, or 5, or 10. Exactly. God, it's genius. She sounded like someone awakened from a clever dream and pleased to find she remembered the end. Potential physiological damage aside, think of the evolutionary advantage of shared mental processing. It's a leap forward. An individual's will to survive, their instinct to reproductive success, all potentially vastly increased or stabilized. A disaster wouldn't necessarily wipe them out either. If a tidal wave carries off half the village, the other half just has to find more individuals to join the collective. Maybe two collectives could recombine by adopting one another. I'm no entomologist, but I wonder if there's a parallel in any observed hive insects. If only the metabolic rate thing could be controlled. She was silent for a moment and then blinked, eyes wider still. Hive insects. Oh, of course. Her voice sounded a little distant now, a little dreamy. And a thought I absolutely hated occurred to me for just a moment. I started to shake it away, but I couldn't. Jennifer, I said very slowly, this is not a laboratory. These things are not objects of study. If these things are a little telepathic or something, they may try to suggest you do something, influence you somehow, and you need to resist that. I need your help to get out of here, okay? We need each other. I need you to turn off the security camera so that I can... Well, so that we can make it possible for us to walk out of here and go home. 
You have to stay objective about this, Jennifer. You can study them later. To be honest, I didn't give a damn about the academic questions they raised. I was ready to jump down and wade in with everything I had, with teeth and claws and fists and boots and whatever might be a hand. And Smiles certainly seemed to think this was a fine idea. And we had Jennifer on our side, and the zombies seemed to have gotten smart enough to get shy about me again. And I could use that. I knew I could, because any enemy can be defeated once you can direct their movements. Before I could start to talk through a plan, I fell silent because in the distance, at the front of the store, I saw something I would never in a hundred years have expected to see. A resurrection. Phone lady came staggering in the front doors of the Uber bargains with her phone in her hand and my undead ears could make out her every syllable of her endless stream of chatter even as the zombies cried out at Jennifer and Smiles and me, faces upraised and mouths falling open in one unified scream for flesh and blood and everything else that makes a person a person in and of themselves. Phone lady said into her handset, unperturbed as ever, and stumbling only a little as she limped on one bad leg. I don't know where everyone is, but I swear to Jesus, the television had better still be here. I've got my paper, and these bastards are not going to cheat me out of that television. You know Susan bought a television for her boyfriend, and he doesn't even go to work, and I just think it would be unfair for that jackass to sit there and watch his shows on a nice TV when Hank has to watch that old thing we've got. You know they play the strangest music in these stores sometimes. I swear it just sounds like screaming. It's probably some of that rock music. You know the only people they ever try to make happy anymore are kids, and they're all too stupid to appreciate it. You can't kill them with her. You won't kill them. Jennifer's voice carried over the sudden chorus of zombie desire shouted into my ear. Why won't I? I shouted back to make sure she could hear me. My eyes searching for hers, but finding that she was looking down at them. She didn't answer me. Instead, she slipped neatly out of her chair and fell into the waiting arms of a couple of zombies down below. I reached out with all my speed and tried to catch her, but just tore at her shirt instead. By the time she was on the floor, their teeth were in her. Her eyes were rolling back with the transformation, and I was holding hard plastic in my hand. It was her name tag. Jenny. Okay, well, I said we were going to finish tonight, but I don't think we're going to finish tonight because that's almost 15 minutes. So, sorry, we're going to finish tomorrow night. Mm. I promise we're going to finish tomorrow night, though, and I will talk to you then. Thanks for listening. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives license. The theme music is Plucked Contemporary Boom by Kara Square, available under a Creative Commons Attribution license at ccmixter.org.